As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show, European edition. Today, Champions League. We profile the big sides, looking forward to getting another leg over in Europe. Plus, Europa League, Madrid derby, De Classica, one cup, two finals, Zlatan's message to the little people, Marseille and Dram, and much, much more in this Totally Football show in association with Paddy Power. Hello there, continentally minded listener. Thank you once again for being with us here on Totally. We've got a top team lined up for you. They are, as ever, Alvaro Romeo. Hello, James. Hello, guys. Hello to you, Julian Laurence. Bonjour. James Horncastle. Hello. You see Raphael Honigstein. Hello. Hello to you. Woof. All right. European competition's back. We've got a lot to talk about this week because there's been some big stories around the respective leagues, but also fresh set of European midweek fixtures. Woof. Jules, you're going to be at Old Trafford on Thursday. I am indeed, James, for the big uh, United-Milan game, which we've been there before in big European games. This one is uh, is Europa League, but even with Milan depleted squad, it should, should still be interesting. Well, I hope so. We'll be talking about that later on. As I say, so many big stories from the weekend, though. So let's begin in traditional fashion with your moments of the weekend with Paddy Power. Alvaro. Well, I Liga and I Presidente because Barcelona has a new chairman. And uh, let's don't forget that they didn't have one for the last four months because there was an interim board in there. So Joan Laporta is the man who should be guiding Barcelona to... A new period, at least, which is something that uh, Barcelona needs desperately. And uh, yeah, it was a nice weekend for them because uh, Barcelona won and Real Madrid and Atlético de Madrid uh, share the points at uh, El Derby de Madrid. Mm, very nice. Rafa, what about the Bundesliga? I think it has to be Leon Goretzka scoring with an improvised volley two minutes from time to give Bayern the lead and the win in the big game against Dortmund. Don't call it a classic, but call it a comeback, James, because Bayern were 2-0 down and still managed to win 4-2. Brilliant. All right. Well, you can decipher all of that a little bit later uh, for us. James Horncastle. 
It's hard to choose, James, because there's so many great goals in City A this weekend. I mean, Crotone and Torino kind of saved them up themselves. Cersei Cosme back in the league for the first time in nine years. I know this is very niche, so I'm going to choose Milan's win over Verona because, again, both goals from fringe players, Radik Krunic and Diego Dalot, who'll be going back to Old Trafford on Thursday with, uh, with a couple of screamers. Uh, go, right. go, go search them out if you haven't seen them already. Okay, I'm relieved you didn't choose Zlatan's appearance <laughs> on, on stage at the Ariston, but we'll yeah. come to that. But we'll we're all Zlatan, James. We can be Zlatan. This is, this is his speech. In yeah. our little way. Yeah. In our little way. Jules, what are uh, you choosing? Has, has to be Marseille being knocked out of the uh, French oh, Cup Jules. by... Well, it's true, by Canet Roussillon <laughs> from the fourth division. There's even more drama than why, just to say that. Why I don't mean, you celebrate the Parisian success by the real Parisian team, Red Star Paris? Oh yeah, they beat Lens and that was great as well. Uh, right where I used to work at Le Parisien, right by the offices. I've played many times on that pitch at the Stade Bauer, but Marseille losing to fourth division is even better. I mean, there's so many stories. They, they, the uh, Canet-Roussillon mascot, because they have a mascot, had a river plate to troll Pippa Benedetto, the Marseille striker who used to play for Boca Junior, through the whole game, you can just imagine the mascot with the River Plate shirt. There's loads of other stories that I'll tell you later. Brilliant. All right. Okay. Well, uh, those are the moments of the weekend. We're going to begin uh, with a bit of a nod to the Champions League coming up midweek. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg, online exclusive, no shot bets, T's and C's apply, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. Yep, just for the sake of argument, in case anyone had forgotten what happened three weeks ago, uh, Juve went to Porto and were pretty abject, but they did get a potentially crucial away goal in what was a 2-1 victory for Sergio Conceição's Porto. Dortmund went behind in Seville, but then a screamer from the man they called Boysin, and then a brace from Erlen Haaland uh, saw them win 3-2 in Andalusia. Liverpool looked comfortable, winning the away leg of their tie with RB Leipzig 2-0, and there's no way they're going to blow that one, right? And Jules, what happened in Barcelona PSG? Oh, yeah. We won 4-1. Thank oh, you, man. Kylian. Oh no, Jules! This sounds hubristic. I'm not going to watch. It's I'm not going to watch the second this leg. Sounds the- I'm not going to watch. It's a walk in the park. I'm not going to watch it. It's a walk in the park. Clip that up, yeah, producer clip Charlie. Clip that up, producer Charlie. I'm not going to watch. I refuse to watch it. I watched Liverpool Leipzig. Another remontada that'd be far more exciting. Okay, so how many of these games are actually done and dusted? Do you think closest to call is surely the one the, the, the one in Turin, Juventus against Porto, courtesy of Chiesa's late late strike. In Portugal, um, and, and James, a season-defining fixture this for Juventus and their young manager. Yeah, I mean, it feels like it's already been a defining few days for them because on Saturday night they played Lazio um, and they needed to win that in order to stay on Inter's coattails because Inter really started to pull away uh, from the pack. Um, and I think you can take a lot from this game, this performance, because for starters... Um, Pirlo rested Cristiano Ronaldo um, and I think that was interpreted in some quarters as you know what's more important to Juventus is it the Champions League or Serie A if he's resting Ronaldo for a game as important as this one against Lazio it does seem to show his hand a little bit that for Juventus this season the Champions League means everything I think Serie A still means a hell of a lot to them as well 
They went behind early in that game, which they did in Porto uh, after 19 seconds. And this is something that keeps happening to Juventus this season. Uh, just in the league alone, they've given up five goals in the first 15 minutes. So they had to come back from behind in this game. And the other thing is the lineup, um, which I think goes to show how many injuries uh, that Juventus have had because they had to play a 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 with lots of players out of position. So, for example, you had Bernadeschi playing as a left-back, Alexandra, who usually plays as a left-back, was a centre-back, Danilo, who usually plays as a centre-back or a right-back, was in midfield. Um, and all of these things that they had to kind of get to grips with, which Pirlo said, this is one of the reasons why we were slow starters and went behind. But they came back and won. And I think how they did that is really important because it was down to Morata and Chiesa. And you mentioned Chiesa's away goal in the first leg. Chiesa's been sensational uh, over the last few weeks, scored and assisted four goals in his last five appearances. Um, he kind of set up uh, Morata's goal, the go-ahead goal in this game against Lazio. Morata um, came on in the first leg for the final 20 minutes and changed the game. He was if, if Juventus were able to get themselves in a position where Chiesa could score an away goal, it was down to Morata because just he's a, a different kind of striker to everyone else that they have. And then I suppose in the final 20, 10 minutes of that game, they brought an Artur against Lazio. So he's back fit, hopefully, for this game. And he's going to be crucial because... When Porto press Juventus in field players, uh, they panic. And he's the only one who basically doesn't panic when he's got the ball. And Bonucci uh, as well came back for the final 10 minutes. And one of one of the elements of Porto's strategy in the first leg was basically to say, ah, just let Chiellini have the ball uh, and we'll man-mark everybody else because Chiellini can't pick a pass. And it was, you know, when they've got Bonucci, he's a centre-back who is able to play that ball between the lines, play it over the top, switch it. So all of those things, I would say, bode well. Mm. But mem memories of, of what happened last August against Lyon are still very, very fresh. Right. Chiesa, though, what, what a revelation he's been. We knew he was a, an exciting, dynamic player coming off the wing at, at Fiorentina. But the, the way he's been, that assist you mentioned, he was like doing a little roulette inside the penalty box in, in this game. It, it's like his father was Edgemundo, not Enrico. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. And also, I mean, the the hunger and desire he shows to win the ball and start the break for, for Morata's goal. Um, he has really quickly assimilated kind of what it means to be a Juventus player. I find it really quite surprising how almost after every game, the player that the press office sends out to speak to the media is Federico Chiesa. Um, and one of the reasons for that is because he's always assisting or scoring goals and he's making a mark. But I think the other is because he, I think they feel he represents what the club is about really well. Um, he has the kind of right mentality. Um, and yeah, you're right. I mean, he scored 10 goals this season. He got into double figures last year, but only towards the end of the campaign when his yeah, for much of it, he seemed to be in this funk. His head had been turned. He was like, why am I still at Fiorentina? We're fighting against relegation. I should maybe have left the summer before. He's already in double figures now. And I think he's really kicked on um, since, he's, since he's moved to Juventus. And I think he's one of the players that Pirlo has been using pretty well. OK. 2-1 then from the first leg. Porto had a victory at the weekend, 2-0 at struggling Gil Vicente. Uh, they were stunned by Braga in the second leg of their cup semi-final last Wednesday, as you probably saw, listener. I uh, was watching uh, All Hanins. Oh, yeah? Yeah, Edgar. All right. <laughs> so wh wh what do you all think? Who's going through, Juve or Porto? 
I don't think Juve can bottle it like they did against Lyon last season. Sure, surely, even if it's a different team and a different manager, this time they're gonna they're gonna qualify. They can't they can't do it again. Surely, of course, of course they can cock this up. I mean, this is this is this is what's happened over the last two years. Um, you know, I mean, they lost the first leg against Atleti and they needed a hat trick from Ronaldo, and then they still went out to Ajax, which on paper was a favourable draw. We know that Ajax went to the semi-finals that year, but given that. Juventus had signed Cristiano. The thinking was they were going to go through. And against Lyon last year, okay, the penalty that gets given against them in the second leg, it's never a penalty. It's another German ref against an Italian team, just like Atlanta against Real Madrid. But they gave away that early goal to Memphis Depay. And I think this is a problem ever since Allegri got sacked, that Juventus don't win games 1-0 anymore. And in fact, they haven't won a single game 1-0 this season. Um, and so I think it's realistic to expect that Porto may score at the Allianz. And then it becomes very difficult because aside from Cristiano in the knockout stages over the last two and a half seasons, only one player scored for them other than him. And that's Chiesa. So I think it's, it's tricky. Is it easier for Porto if Chiellini and Bonucci start at the back or if it's Demiral and De Ligt? Because I could not believe that Pirlo is actually tempted to start with Bonucci and Chiellini for a game like this. So I think that purely comes down to one thing, which is the first leg, that was the youngest Juventus team to start in the Champions League in a long, long time. And there was a feeling from the sidelines that they were it was very quiet, particularly when Chiellini went off after 34 minutes, that there wasn't enough leadership on the pitch. And you saw... Pirlo basically shouting over to Cristiano to just pipe up a little, you know, talk, get get people going. So I think in some respects, that team selection, you bring Benucci in because he's a better passer of the ball um, than Chiellini is. But I think that leadership, I think they I think they need it. Um, but whether Benucci is going to be fit enough after only playing 10 minutes of the weekend, we'll have to see. Mm, indeed. Also coming up this Tuesday evening is Dortmund's clash with Sevilla as what is a big week for the yellow and black continues. Nico Schulz, Nico Schulz, auf! Der Ball in die Mitte, Haaland! 2 zu 0! 2 zu 0! 2 zu 0! 9. Minute! BVB! Wow, there you go. That was Dortmund on Saturday. Erling Haaland putting them. Zweinul up inside the first nine minutes. What happened then, Rafa? Bayern happened. Although they left it quite late. Dortmund were holding out until the 88th minute before Leon Goretzka with that aforementioned wonderful little improvised volley won the three points and the game for Bayern. Lewandowski's fourth a couple of minutes later was just a bit of icing or maybe from Dortmund's point of view a bit of shicing uh, on the cake. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What what an image that is. What an image. Oh my God. What What a punchline. Not to be taken literally, yeah? Uh, this is all metaphorical. I mean, there's two ways of looking at this. One, you know, people saying, okay, well, Bayern completely bullied them once again and they outshot them and Dortmund didn't do much apart from those two goals. And I think that's all true. But at the same time, I think being inferior to Bayern is is not something that Dortmund should really be too upset about. Bayern are just very good, even when they're not that good this season. And they've done it to loads of teams and I think more importantly for Dortmund is not so much what they do against vis-a-vis Bayern 
but actually the fact that they are back on track to being the second best team in Germany by quite a distance. Yes, Leipzig are ahead of them. Leipzig's results are more consistent. But when you look at the squad and you look at some of the football that they played, then Dortmund are in a league of their own above everyone else. And okay. they, that's where they should be. And I think they can be reasonably confident going into that Sevilla game because since that Sevilla game, the only game they've lost is against Bayern. And that was, at least results-wise, a little bit unlucky coming late in that game. So I think there's nothing wrong with Dortmund. They can also win the German Cup then, the semi-finals after getting um, by against Borussia Mönchengladbach and their future coach in midweek. So it's been... He's, he's think, doing great at the moment, isn't he? He's doing Raph? very well. He's doing really well. Yeah. So so nothing to worry about with conceding four unanswered goals in this game and letting a 2-0, always a dangerous lead, etc. Lead slip uh, to lose 4-2. Uh, they have a one-goal lead uh, from the first leg. Of course, there are three away goals in the picture, which certainly is a comfort. How confident are you that they're not going to blow up in this second leg, Raph? I'm pretty confident. I think they've defended quite well yes it doesn't sound it if you concede four goals but if you look at the other games and I would include the Sevilla game in that they've really been a lot more difficult to play against I think they're working very hard and I think they'll score a couple of goals and then it's going to be difficult for Sevilla to score four so Mm. I think they should be okay all right also Sevilla are not in the best of form at the moment quick word though before we touch on the Nervionenses about Robert Lewandowski, if you're keeping track of his goal tally and whether he is on course to break the the season goal record in the Bundesliga, currently earned by one G. Muller, uh, he's on 31 now, Rafa, 10 games to go and 40 is the target. Yeah, many years people have wondered whether he can do it. For one reason or the other, he nor anyone before him has been able to do it. If there is a season, it's going to be this one. If he can stay fit and healthy... And if Bayern keep playing their slightly rickety style, which I think helps them because they often go fall behind the goal and then really have to go going. So there's no one nil or two nils with this Bayern team. There's more often three ones, four ones, four twos, which helps him when it comes to the goal scoring. Um, so I think he can do it. The other question is, can he break Gerd Müller's all-time record of 365 goals in the Bundesliga? He's on 267 at the moment. So if you add three, maybe four more years, he could just do it. And what? that would be a remarkable achievement. This season he's averaging 1.35 goals per game in the Bundesliga. So, yeah, you wouldn't put it past him. Raf, do you think the Ballon d'Or not being designated last year and it was obviously going to go to Robert Lewandowski is, is still behind this kind of continual drive to, I don't know, maintain not only the consistency that he showed last year, but to even better uh, himself, statistically at least, to put himself back in the frame to to win a trophy he deserved, essentially. I'm not so sure that is the driving force. I think winning it is and has been at the forefront of his mind, of course. He knows that I think he'll be judged again on the Champions League because scoring in the Bundesliga is not quite enough to win that accolade. But, I mean, he's been trying to do that now for almost a decade. So I wouldn't necessarily say he's playing better because of what happened or because the Ballon d'Or hasn't been awarded. That's just who he is. All right, well, that's Bayern Munich. But Dortmund and their opponent, Sevilla, Dortmund in terrific form 
at the moment. Alvaro, Sevilla, not so much. No, not so much. Uh, they have been uh, very dysfunctional lately. I think that they have uh, a problem of identity right now after what happened uh, against Dortmund because the team tried to play in a, in a certain way that didn't shoot the game against Dortmund. They were basically taken on the break many times. And uh, I think that Lopetegui, as the defeats went by, he started becoming a little bit more conservative. And I think that the, the most uh, exacerbated example of that was what happened at Camp Nou in midweek against Barcelona when Sevilla had to defend the 2-0 advantage and they ended up losing 3-0 against Barcelona in the, in the cup and therefore they were disqualified from the competition. Also, there are a few things that are happening in there that don't help. Uh, Papo Gómez uh, scored a really nice goal in his second goal for Sevilla, as far as I can recall, but he hasn't been that player that makes a difference. So definitely he didn't have uh, the impact that was expected. I guess that uh, probably not playing a lot of football since mid-December didn't help. Then uh, Acuña and Lucas Ocampos, they've been out for a key part of the season, uh, the month of February and uh, they have been missed, and uh, now they are back, but they are not back at their best form. Then the goalkeeper Bono uh, got an injury, and Backlitz, who was supposed to be a great second-choice goalkeeper, because last season he was the first-choice goalkeeper for Sevilla, uh, Backlitz is not the goalkeeper he was. So, little by little, you start adding up things here and there, Rakitic, Navas, uh, they are a little bit out of form, perhaps because they are experience does a little bit old and uh, that tells you what Sevilla are now. Uh, however, I don't think that uh, they should be totally pessimistic going uh, um, against Dortmund because uh, Dortmund also considers chances. I think that if you put them in their own box, they are not the most reliable team defensively. So they should go to Dortmund with a, a positive mindset, knowing that it is very difficult to get uh, the right result against them. This weekend, Sevilla beaten 2-1 at Elche. How, how, how big an upset is that? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a massive upset. I mean, this is probably the worst time of uh, Lopetegui's reign at Sevilla, definitely. I mean, uh, number one, because they lost against Dortmund, then uh, they didn't do the job against Barcelona, and uh, they are basically accumulating a number of defeats in La Liga, which are affordable for them, because uh, I believe that Real Sociedad will find it very difficult to catch with them. Sevilla is fourth on the table. But uh, the doubts are erupting, obviously. Uh, also, Lopetegui was never contested at Sevilla or hasn't been contested for a year. And uh, suddenly the doubters of Lopetegui are uh, asking the manager for some responsibilities, maybe for his... Uh, a little bit of a conservative approach to the games. If anything, Lopetegui is conservative more than Dering, and um, that is uh, costing them, I believe. For example, against Barcelona, you know, it's true that Barcelona managed to uh, put them in the box and corner them in their own box, but at the same time, Sevilla didn't play with the level of uh, adventurous approach that you would expect from a team that uh, has been able to beat Barcelona 2-0 in the first mm. leg of the cup. So, I believe that this is a difficult time for Sevilla at this stage of the season. They can still limit the damage if they qualify for the Champions League. And uh, they are going to Dortmund with uh, probably not being the favourites anymore. Probably in the first leg you will say that maybe they were a slightly favourite over Dortmund. But they wouldn't write them off at all because I believe that uh, they, they have shown this season, especially before February, that they are capable as well of uh, putting up a great fight against any team in the world. 
They got knocked out of the Copa del Rey semi-finals, didn't go through to the final. But you know who did, Alvaro? Athletic Club Bilbao. Wow. Through to their second Copa del Rey final this year. There's a future trivia question in the making for you. So they're going to be playing last year's final in April. And then when, when are they going to play this year's final, which is against Barcelona? Uh, Mid-April, the 17th of April, as far as I can recall, yes. So they will play two finals in the space of 20 days. Extraordinary. But these are extraordinary times. You know, La Liga this season uh, has been a little bit ugly, I'm sorry to say, because I should defend my own business here. But uh, the truth is that it hasn't been as nice as some other seasons. If anything, the level of the big teams has dropped a little bit. But the cup has been uh, right the opposite. I mean, uh, I think that more than 30 games have been decided in the extra time. Uh, it's been such a nice competition too. Uh, and this is all down to the Spanish FA because a year ago they decided to change the old format, uh, which had uh, two legs in every round, to this format in which uh, everything is played one leg, but the semifinals. And the quality of the cup and the emotion that uh, the cup uh, has given us as spectators has been really special. Glad you're enjoying it because you've got two finals coming up of it in April. Brilliant. Well, there's been loads of big uh, Spanish news from the otherwise disappointing Liga, and we'll get on to a couple of very big stories next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Alvaro, the Madrid derby. And... Big news from Barcelona. First of all, as you said earlier on, I Liga. Tell us about Atletico Madrid, that brilliant Suarez opening goal and that somehow inevitable Real Madrid last-minute equaliser. Yes, it was inevitable because Atletico de Madrid at some point they thought that it would be worth defending that 1-0 and they, they sat too deep and they ended up conceding a goal. I think that Atletico was far superior in the first half of the game uh, Hence the goal of Luis Suárez after a really good pass from Marcos Llorente. And then Luis Suárez scored the goal with the outside part of the foot in front of Thibaut Courtois. It's not the first time that he's scoring a goal of this fashion. I mean, he definitely masters this kind of shot. I believe that in the second half, Real Madrid step up a little bit, especially Casemiro. I believe that he was their best player all around. And he was being the leader of Real Madrid. And then Karim Benzema. Uh, when the game was pretty much over, he decided to do something that was genius. Uh, you could call him mad if he didn't score that, but he did uh, because he decided to attack the center, the middle. And Atletico de Madrid have three center backs. They have two uh, holding midfielder in that area. And uh, still, he managed to find a corridor through the center channel. He connected one-two with Casemiro and he scored the goal after doing a a really nice uh, flick to pass the ball to Casemiro. So it was very special from Karim Benzema. And I think that Atletico de Madrid had chances to kill it, or at least have chances. But uh, they were missing the finesse in the last pass. I remember a couple of actions with, uh, for example, Correa not giving the right ball to Luis Suarez, Luis Suarez not giving the right ball to Joao Felix, Marcos Llorente missing the last pass, and that costed them. And I think that in this game, 
the whole narrative for me is about the two strikers. I mean, Karim Benzema and, and Luis Suarez, because both are strikers born in the same year, 1987. Uh, one of them is pure talent, Karim Benzema. The other one, Luis Suarez, is something else. He's a striker who manages to get the best of pretty much every possible situation. But the more difficult for Suarez, the better for him. I think that he still struggles to do easy things easy. You could see that in the sequence of Real Madrid's goal. Atlético de Madrid had a counter-attack and Luis Suarez was running with the ball. He just had to give a very easy pass for the striker to score. He missed that easy pass, something that Luis Suarez does a lot. The ball came to Benzema, like uh, seconds later, and he managed to do something extraordinary in a very tight space, in tight angles. So I think that the game defines both the strikers as well. But Luis Suarez is capable of scoring a beautiful goal against the world Courtois using a very difficult type of shot, then he misses a very easy pass, and Karim Benzema does something even more difficult in tight spaces. So I think that both strikers were uh, phenomenal in their own way, and uh, this game defines what they both are about. Okay, Connor asking, if Suarez had joined Juve in the summer, how different would La Liga and Serie A look? What do you think, James? I think Juventus are very happy with uh, Morata. I mean, Morata mm. is having his best season in terms of uh, assists. I mean, if you look at his numbers this year, I mean, I don't think there are many strikers who uh, you know, they'd look at and think, actually, we would have done a better job if we'd, we'd signed them. Um, All right, then. Just trying to find the numbers. Where are they? Worth reminding, James, that uh, Karim Benzema became, on Sunday, the non-Spanish players who has played more games for Real Madrid. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, uh, he has played one more play, one more game than Roberto Carlos, and it's very difficult to survive as Real Madrid uh, number nine for eleven or twelve seasons. I mean, it's mm. almost impossible. You know, it, it's very a very demanding position. Uh, I think that as soon as you have a bad season, normally they are finding you a replacement. But uh, worth just checking the the names that Karim Benzema has survived, and they are quite impressive. I mean, Iguain, Álvaro Morata. Chicharito Hernández, well, not so good, but still a good scorer. Uh, even Luka Jovic and Karim Benzema has always managed to be the best of them. So, full praise for the for the Frenchman, really. 16 goals and 6 assists. For All right. Morata. I'm glad so, you found them. There you go. So, uh, this, this, this goal from Benzema, of course, means that uh, Atleti have only won one of their last five matches in all competitions, but also that Barcelona, who did win, are just three points behind them, although Atleti have a game in hand. But that's not the only big news for Barcelona, because they've now had their election and we have a winner. Hmm. Alvaro, who is it and what what impact can we expect to see from his arrival? Well, I think that uh, this is like a clean break with uh, Josep Maria Bartomeu and uh, his acolytes, I'm going to put it that way, and they are all gone. And there is a new president, like John Laporta, who is the one who has a better contact with Lionel Messi. This is a president that, uh, back in uh, when he was president before, uh, in his previous stint, he managed to get UNICEF as a sponsor of Barcelona. But uh, let's not forget that before that, he was negotiating a deal with Uzbekistan, the state, uh, for a sponsorship. Uh, and there were some human rights uh, infringements uh, involved in that uh, in that sponsorship, apparently. So this is a man who has survived good and bad. And uh, generally speaking, he's got a really good contact with uh, all the former players that gave glory to Barcelona. Uh, Puyol, Xavi, Iniesta, Lionel Messi as well, Gerard Piqué. 
And uh, yeah, he's expected to bring some uh, optimistic approach to the team because uh, there is a one billion depth that is there. They will have they will have to find imaginative ways of uh, tackling it. And this is a team that has to solve a few problems that are coming up very soon. Like, for example, what to do Leo, with Lionel Messi. But Joan Laporta seems to be the right man to do it, really, uh, because he knows how to manage a football club. I mean, he did it in the past. In 2003, he made Barcelona come back from a massive debt as well. And uh, yeah, basically, he's got charisma. And uh, he's uh, a man, too, who can actually negotiate very well when it comes to deals with players. I mean, he was the man who masterminded the Ronaldinho deal all together with Sandro Rossell. And little by little, we, we got to know Monday who their board are going to be. One of them is Ferran Reverter, uh, the general director. Okay, uh, He's not very well known, but uh, his uh, football director is going to be probably Mateo Alemani, the man who took Valencia uh, all together with Marcelino. Uh, to the Champions League uh, qualification two seasons in a row. So some of the names dropping there, they are quite interesting. Jordi Cruyff, maybe the sporting director for Barcelona too. So little by little, we are knowing what his team is and yeah, it's quite attractive and quite appealing. Okay, well, he arrives just in time for an absolutely huge clash. Jules against Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah, he will travel to Paris as well on Wednesday. He's already said, let's go to Paris and see yeah. if we can uh, come back again like they did four years ago. So we see. It's obviously, he's quite well known in um, in Paris. He brought Ronaldinho to, to Barcelona uh, when he was at PSG as well. So it's, I think he knows Nasser Al-Khalaifi and a lot of people at the club. Not that he likes them, but he certainly knows them well. And only only one thing, James, if I may, very quickly. I mean, uh, there was a, a candidate, Victor Font, uh, who had a really good project, apparently. And he always said that if you let me explain my project in 20 minutes, I will beat Laporta easily. And Laporta won because, uh, I don't know if you agree with me, but lately, elections are not won by which project you have, actually. I think that it's nostalgia and emotions which are winning elections lately. And John Laporta is exactly that. Right. Getcha. Sunlit Upland ahead for Barcelona. Very nice. Uh, we'll see if they'll begin on Wednesday at the Parc de Prince. I'm guessing... Well, Jules, we know what you think. We'll see, eh, on Wednesday. It would be possibly the most extraordinary comeback ever. Next up, then, let's talk about Wednesday's other game, Liverpool-Leipzig. Pep, what do you think of the risks of players taking part in fantasy football? I, uh, I, I think that... Fantasy football? What is this uh, fantasy football? And Man City win the treble again with an incredible goal for Erling Haaland, who's just signed a 10-year contract with Man City. He said what sealed it was the long, flowing locks of manager Pep Guardiola. Look at him there on the sidelines, his hair cascading down over his shoulders. Oh. Uh, next question? That's one sort of fantasy football, Pep. Paddy Power. 18 plus big, I'm going to wait on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Rafa, we had a big chat about this on yesterday's Totally Football Show, but for anyone who missed that, let me see if I can recall some of your key points. RB Leipzig are in great form, Rafa. The only game yeah. they've, they've not won in their last nine matches was the defeat to Liverpool. But they've been looking at Liverpool's results and going, hey up. Yes, I mean, they had a similar good vibe about them going into the first leg and that didn't work out that well for them. But I think fresh from the 3-0 win away to Freiburg, which is the sort of place that you tend to stumble, even if you're one of the better sides, there is a renewed hope, of course. Um, 
is it a disadvantage though that the game is not at Anfield? This is what I worry about uh, for them. Um, they would have prefer <laughs> preferred that. Uh, so neutral grounds, uh, maybe it's a different story. Maybe, you know, Liverpool getting out of the country, slight change of scenery will help them in the getting out of the rot that they're in. Rot, sorry, the rot that they're in. Well. Um, and maybe rot as well. Mm. Um, I think 2-0 is, is tricky. Yes, it's a dangerous lead, as we know. Um, and as you like to remind us, James, but in European Cup arithmetics, I think it's going to be hard. It's going to be very hard for, for Leipzig to, to come back from that. They need at least three goals to go through. I think it, they've left themselves a little bit too much to do. Fair enough, then. It's hard to argue with you there. So quickly, while we have you, because I know you've got to disappear in a second... Uh, two things I'd like to ask you about uh, from the Bundesliga this weekend. One is, what was your view on Paolo Ottavio's wonderful tackle uh, in the Wolfsburg-Hoffenheim game? And secondly, what on earth is going on with Borussia Mönchengladbach? They've now had five defeats in a row since, coincidentally, it was announced that their manager is going to be joining the other Borussia. Well, ju just like you, James, I, I enjoyed the sight of a tackle flying in from behind. And uh, this certainly was... <laughs> <laughs> Are you going to leave that, that in, easy. so to speak? <laughs> that was so easy, James. You knew it. And uh, this was this was a throwback to uh, you know kind of nineteen seventies inter intercontinental cup Buenos Aires, uh, you know Boca Junior against I don't know Man United or something. Dabur was clean on goal, the Hoffenheim striker, and just really just behind him, running, running, running. Paolo Tagli with a scissor kick. Si no, not a kick, with a scissor. Pincer move. Mm. Jumping in. I mean, we laugh about it, and it is funny because nothing happened. Uh, luckily, Dabur got up and walked away and didn't even pretend that he was hurt. He knew, I think, that the red card was coming anyway for Paolo Tavio. And yeah, it is a sort of tackle that, you know, you would see on a Danny Baker VHS tape. I was wondering um, which VHS you were going to go there. Ask whatever. your parents. Yeah, but in VHS. 2021. Yeah. yeah. They're still Jules. not as good as Federico Valverde on, on Alvaro Morata in the Spanish Super Cup because at least, at least that changed the game. So you do create something crazy like this, you get sent off, but your team still won. In this case, you got sent off. You, you were losing 2-1 at the time. Okay, you avoided to lose 3-1. But, but the, the, the Valverde on Morata one will, I think, stay even more forever in everybody's mind because he actually won, in a way, Real Madrid's title. Mm. All right. Munch and Gladbach, Rafa, briefly. Not good, James. Uh, they lost again, and this time to Leverkusen uh, in the uh, meeting of the two crisis teams in the Bundesliga. Peter Bosch being kept alive to fight another day by that win. But Marco Rosa, difficult for him. Is there the point, even though the club want to continue with him, where you feel it might be better just to make that switch? Because Gladbach are just dropping. Now they're in mid-table and European football is moving further and further away from them. There's a lot of anger and resentment in the organised fan base as well. And we're not just talking sort of social media outrage. I mean, real, the ultras are really up in arms. And it might be, might be easier just to promote somebody from within as a caretaker manager. 
But uh, I'd like to think that Gladbach can still turn it around. It's a great team. It'd be a shame if Marco Rosa's two-year tenure would finish on such a low note. Okay then, Rafa. You've got to head off for a school run. So enjoy. <laughs> yeah. And uh, for the rest of us, eh? Having dealt with the Champions League, let's hear about the Coupe de France, one of the other great European competitions. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power. Jules, no league going this weekend. It was the Coupe de France last 32. Woohoo! Biggest Woo-hoo. shock. Biggest shock. Let's hear it again. Marseille knocked out by fourth tier amateur side Canet Roussillon. Incredible. What's what's Canet Roussillon famous for? Where I mean, what, what's their where they're it's from? A, what's that famous for, Jules? So they're near. They're not far from Perpignan. It's the French uh, French Catalan. So French Catalonia. Right. It's a beautiful place by the sea. They've got a very good swimming team. Maybe their swimming team could have beaten Marseille, to be fair, because right. it was, as you could put it as well, a, f- a Festival de Cannes. This is a pretty good one. It's an, it's an easy one for Festival de Cannes. Do you get me? Festival de oh, Cannes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Or as they keep front page put it, that's where work of amateurs, but except that the amateurs in this case were Marseille, not right. the real amateurs, because all the players in this Cannes-Roussillon team, oui. football is not... Their job. This is not what they do. You know, they're not professional players at all. Uh, they all have work, everything you want. Uh, uh, and and it's not just that they beat Marseille. It's the way they did it because they were by far the better team. They dominated from pretty much the first minute to the last. And there were all those funny stories. We mentioned the mascot holding up a River Plate shirt just to troll Pippa Benedetto. Uh, Marseille asked for the grass to be cut and watered before the game, which, of course, Canet Roussillon didn't. <laughs> it's where the, the rugby league team, the Catalan Dragons, who, are, who have been quite successful, that's, that's mm-hmm. where they usually play. Uh, and we had an, an incredible first goal for the listeners who haven't seen it, but Jeremy Posteraro, who on the day of his 30th birthday, scored a Juninho-esque free kick, which was incredible oh, if you haven't seen it. Ce sera pour uh, directement. Oh, extraordinaire! Jeremy Posteraro. We had Johan uh, Bay, who's a pure PSG fan, who scored the winner. Bay, Bay! Oh, c'est extraordinaire! Ça faisait plusieurs moments qu'il n'avait pas investi le camp. Johan Bay! With the Moisey Kane goal celebration. I mean, they were trolling Marseille from start to finish. It was it was one of are the they, best things I've ever seen. They do are the Erling Haaland. Uh, no, but they, I yoga. guess they, they could have. They had uh, they had uh, some people of um, who work at the club and some of the players' families who were allowed to be in the stadium, very few people, but they were too nosy for Marseille who asked for them to be uh, either removed from the stadium or just dispatched everywhere on the ground instead of being all together. Hmm. So the referee and the, 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 the match delegate had to send them all over the pitch 
all over the ground. So they, they, they didn't make as much noise as in the first half. I mean, for Marseille, it's a humiliation. But even all the stories around makes it even better. Are right. they your new second team, Jules? <laughs> They're almost my new first team, to be fair. <laughs> you know? Was this St. Pauli's first game? Was no, no, he's no, still no, self-isolating. Yes. So, yeah, uh, so okay. his debut will be right. on Wednesday in the one of the games in hand they have in the league. For Apollo the Hayes asks, uh, what do you, does Jules think the summer looks like for Marseille after this disastrous season? It's, it's a very interesting one because on Sunday morning, uh, Frank McCourt was speaking on French television saying the objective is still to win the Champions League. And, <laughs> and the same day... It's literally eight hours later, they get knocked out by Canet Roussillon in the French Cup. So maybe focus on winning the French Cup first and then let's see where we can go in the Champions League. But they, they have they've lost 120 million euros this season, this year. So if Frank Marco wants a competitive, for, a competitive team for Sampaoli, which I think Sampaoli will need because this, this is not a really good team. They will need to invest money. What do you do with Dimitri Payet and Steph Mandanda and Players like that who are 34, 35, who are on huge contracts. You've just renewed them, by the way. Uh, you've got young, really good young players like Bouba Kamara, who at some point will leave because he's from Marseille and this is his club and his town, but he's far too good for this team. So it's a, what, what about Milik? Will Milik stay? I don't think Milik will stay if there's no Champions League and he's got other offers from other clubs with Champions League football, for example, especially in Italy. So it's, it's, there's so many questions, Mark, over next season. Uh, and and what kind of work Sampaoli could do with this team for now, between now and the end of the season, and then certainly next season, because it's all good to have a very good manager, but if you don't have the players to give him, for him to be good, then it's pointless as well. Right. Elsewhere in the round of 32 of the Coupe de France, Lorient lost to some big-name opposition. That's Le Puy Foot 43 Auvergne. <laughs> yeah. They're exactly. also from the fourth tier. This Minos, happens a yeah. lot in the Cup. Wasn't, yeah, wasn't Dimitri Payet's pl uh, brother playing in the cup as well? Yeah, but they lost with Romorantin. Okay. Uh, but Le Puy Foot 43 Auvergne, uh, Lenny Joseph with the only goal of that one, knocking out <laughs> Lorient. Yeah, that was yeah. good. Uh, but you know, the thing is, and it's, it's the same in every country, but those teams are so good because, not, not because they play a lot, because actually Canet and Le Puy have, haven't played in the league because the league has been suspended because of the virus. So the only games they've played since October is the cup game. So they've played oh. three games since October and Marseille still get the, the bum whipped by, by Canet. But, but those teams are so good because all the players who go into academies and when they're 16, 17, 18, sometimes even have had a, a first professional contract but still didn't make it, they go down to third, fourth, fifth, sixth division and make those leagues and those, those teams really good in, in the Canet team. Same with Le Puy, you had players who were Auxerre, Arène, Montpellier, a lot of them, by the way, Marseille fans. But, and all those rejects, if, I mean, it's, it's, it's mean to call them rejects, but who were not really good right. enough for Ligue 1 or Ligue 2 ended up having a decent career at lower league level, but making those teams really good then when it comes to the French Cup. Exactly. And this is maybe why you get so many upsets every yeah. season in this competition. Another one, as mentioned at the top, a red star Paris out of the third tier of French football. I remember when a couple of years back they were knocking on the door of uh, Ligue 1. Yeah, that's Maybe, right, Jimbo. Yeah. Good memory, yeah. The third oldest club in France. So yeah. significantly older. First team in Paris. First team in Paris. They, they're Saint-Ouen, which is literally is, is, is on the border with Paris, just right. outside the peripheric. Uh-huh. So okay. technically, you know. Okay, but anyway, so they... <laughs> no, they they're really good. 
They knocked out Lens. Yeah, they were 2-1 down with 10 minutes to go and they scored two goals and the winner in literally the last kick of the game pretty much. And uh, it's a great story because as you say, it's a very historical club who've had many issues financially, still have a very old stadium, the Stade Boer, uh, where I played many times in my glory days, you know, scored many goals there and a lot of nutmegs. But... But they just they just need they, they need at some point some more investment. Their president is doing a good job, but it's very limited mm. because they also have a very good academy. They've got really good youth level teams and kids from the area from Paris, and and it's a really good club. So I'm glad they be Lance, who've been one of the revelation of the season in Liga. Okay, Jules, and uh, they'll have been delighted to see their Parisian neighbours Paris Saint Germain also winning in the cup three nil at Brest with the yeah. Kylian Mbappe getting another brace. They played really well. Marco Verratti played well in, in the number 10 position. Mm. Neymar is back at training with Florenzi before the Barca game. And also, big mention for Ryan Cherky, who, remember, we, we mentioned very early on to all our listeners who scored two goals and gave an assist in, in Lyon's win against Sochaux from, from the second division. He's still only 17, and I think he's been a bit impatient at times this season, but it's coming through nicely for him. So, uh, well done to Cherky. All right, then. Well, next up on Totally Show, we'll talk about the Europa League coming up on Thursday. Uh, maybe mention some big teams heading down in Syria and hear Zlatan sing, or maybe not. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Yeah, that was last Friday at the uh, music festival or the, the song festival of San Remo. Uh, and uh, that was kind of Zlatan Ibrahimovic and Sinisa Mihailovic singing uh, one of the classics, Io Vagabondo by the Nomads. And uh, Amadeus and Fiorello really doing the heavy lifting there. I've got to say, James, there's been so much build up to the fact that Zlatan was going to be singing at San Remo, the big cultural event of the Italian year but he kind of bottled it completely he did and I think what was really funny about this was uh, Sinisa clearly did it to get one over his Serbian singing friends um, because you know we did a Golazzo on Sinisa he's a big fan of, of uh, music out of Serbia he knows a lot of the musicians there and he knows that no, none of them will ever get the chance to sing at San Remo mm. so that's why he took it um, but Sinisa also kind of was... He was quite know, shy, but then he, he, yeah, he, was really shy. he got into it, you know, it took a while. Neither of them wanted to do the solos and then they kind of... And then Sinisa attacked the chorus with, uh, with Gusto, but then Zlatan <laughs> was, stayed there just kind of <laughs> mouthing along. I think, I think he was waiting. It was almost like he was a kind of 90s pop star who was waiting for the, the, the um, track to be played over him. 
um, rather him to be singing live instead. Ah, and so right. he was he he looked the part, didn't he? He was there in mm. was his uh, white smoke his yeah, sort of dinner suit, jacket, yeah. mm. and then he was he was he was held the mic and was smiling into camera, looking great. But then no words seemed to be coming. No out. words. It looked. It did look like he didn't know this was coming. Almost when when we that's all people were waiting for. And almost like they ambushed him. And that's right. why I agree with James. Maybe it was not exactly the way he thought it was going to go. Perhaps. But you know what? A wise man once said that defeat is a part of success. <laughs> and the only defeat is not trying. I say a wise man. This was Zlatan the very next day. The same man who told LeBron James that he should shut up about yeah, everything. Up. But about, you know, shut up and dribble effectively. And then came out on Saturday and made this extraordinary speech. James, you were quoting from it earlier where he said... Uh, you are all Zlatan. And, uh... Yeah. I mean, the opening gambit was, I'm great. I'm Zlatan. Um, I bet you all think that, you know, you can't get anywhere close to me and what I've done in my career. But you know what? You are all Zlatan. We are Zlatan. Um, <laughs> so amazing. I suppose it was supposed to have some kind of quite humbling message to it, but it was just like, you can be like me if you want. Uh, and it's like, well, what happens if you don't want to be like Zlatan? <laughs> if you want to be yourself or, I don't know, be or someone else. else. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> so, but I mean, the best bit, I, I suppose, of Zlatan's uh, week as the uh, guest presenter of, of San Remo was... Uh, was him motorcycling down from Milan. Yeah. That was amazing. I mean, that looked like Mission Impossible. Or, so was or that James That Bond. was a genuine story. His his car gets held up after there's been an accident on the autostrada, and he has to hitch a lift on the back of a passing motorist, uh, well, motorcyclist vehicle? I don't know if it was a random motorcyclist, James. A little bit like, do you remember De Laurentiis coming out of the league meeting that time right. and basically hailing down a moped to jump on and then telling everyone to go... F themselves. Um, no, I think Zlatan likes his motorcycles. I think this is very much part of his his legend. His entrance, okay. yeah. Right. Anyway, he took a car uh, after his final appearance at San Remo up to see Milan uh, getting a 2-0 win uh, on Saturday at Verona, uh, which moves them back up to just three points behind Inter in the title race, at least while we await. A listener, you'll already know what's happened. A Monday night's big clash between the Nerazzurri and the other Nerazzurri, Atlanta, which is going to be a, a huge one. Milan then victorious uh, away at Verona. Not an easy place to get, get the win, uh, but they've got a huge match coming up on Thursday when they travel to Old Trafford. Ibrahimovic won't be fit for that one. What do you make of their chances, James? Well, Milan have been quite up and down in 2021. Um, they've lost five times. But, you know, there have been performances in amongst that which would suggest they can still cause United some problems. I thought they were very good against Roma, uh, for example. I thought this was a really tricky game against one of the most aggressive and awkward teams to play against in the league. Verona are like a mini Atalanta. Um, and as Julian said earlier, uh, Milan were depleted. I mean, Zlatan was in the stands. Teo Hernandez, who's probably their best player, along with Ibrahimovic, was also in the stands. Um, they were lacking Benacer, Tonali as well, even though Tonali's not been all that great. Rebic got injured before the game uh, even started. And so it was it was about their kind of peripheral players showing up. And they scored a couple of worldies. Um, but at the same time, Milan deserved to win. Um, I thought tactically they were, they were brilliant. Um, they, they stopped Verona from playing. So in, in that sense, it kind of bodes quite well, or at least I think 
you'd be more confident about Milan than you were a couple of weeks ago, for example, when they lost 3-0 to Spezia and they lost 3-0 to, to Inter. Um, I do think there is this feeling that they are that the season has caught up with them a little bit um, in that they've played more games than any other team in Italy because they were in the preliminary rounds of the of the Europa League. Um, they lost uh, some of their best players to injury in November and December. And so that meant the backup players had to sort of do some heavy lifting uh, and then they got tired. And then when the big name players came back, they probably weren't 100%. Um, so they haven't been able to play kind of at the intensity that they need to at Milan. And then a couple of the new signings that they signed in January have not been very good at all, Manzukic and Mete. Um, but yeah, this team believes in what it's doing. It's young. Um, and I actually think in some t- sometimes they're actually better when they don't play with Zlatan. They're better when they have the kids buzzing around because there's uh, they've got the energy um, to play uh, how Pioli wants. And sometimes Zlatan just stands around shouting at people, uh, waiting for the ball to come in. Miming so... like he's expecting playback. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Jules, you're exactly. going to be there at Old Trafford. Yeah, yeah, I'm on Thursday for, for French TV. I think it's, it's a good game. And, and I think what I like about Milan, watching them on at the weekend, is just the character, again, without all those stars. And there were some big players missing. They, they were great. And I just think Franck Kessier... I think in his own game to to another level. I was I was so impressed. I've been impressed by him all season anyway, and not just for his qualities on penalties, but just doing everything in that team. and And I think it's a good game. And I think maybe maybe they play in a in a way where it will suit United again a bit like we saw against City. Because I still do think that this Milan team is a playing team, even without all those big players, and that that can suit United and hit them on the counter more, for example, than if they were sitting deeper. But I think it's going to be a great game. And certainly over the two legs, I don't think this is going to be any easy for United or for Milan, to be fair. I think Milan have also been consistent. I mean, I know I just said that since the turn of the year, they've been up and down. But that win at the weekend, um, I mean, they've been very good away from home as well. But I mean, that win at the weekend, they became, I think, the fourth team since the start of 2020 um, to, to pass 100 points. The other teams to have done that are Man City, Bayern Munich and Real Madrid. So, I mean, that shows you just how consistently have been able to get results so yeah I think I agree with Jules I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be a really interesting tie certainly full of the kind of uh, that 2007 flavour um, <laughs> so it'd be great if we could see you know someone like Kakar bursting through what the United defence like he was jumping onto the tube before it was about to uh, depart so no that'd be great Alrighty, nice the other game's coming up on Thursday uh, well there's Arsenal against Olympiakos Again, a Slavia Prague are taking on a newly crowned Scottish champions Rangers. Ajax face young boys. Dinamo Kiev are up against Villarreal. Spurs have Dinamo Zagreb. Roma are up against Shakhtar Donetsk. Another of the narrative-laden fixtures that because that's Paolo Fonseca's former club. And you've got the two lowest-ranked teams, uh, Molde and Granada, head-to-head. Ooh, Alvaro. Yeah, this is already a success for Granada. I think that uh, very few teams in Europe uh, have played more games than Granada this season. Uh, Spurs, I think that is one of them. But Granada, they've been uh, playing a lot of games with a short squad, not necessarily because uh, they don't have enough players, but because they have been depleted by injuries and COVID. And yet, they've been able to to be competitive in the Spanish Cup. They were this close to uh, knock out Barcelona. Uh, then in the Europa League, they managed to go through a tough one against Napoli. And 
I wouldn't be too surprised if two Spanish teams uh, make it to the Europa League quarterfinals just based on the quality of their opponents in mm. the last 16 rounds. Because I think that Villarreal, they are going through a very tough moment right now. In fact, uh, on Friday, they lost to Valencia in a Valencian region derby, which was a blow for them. And uh, Granada, they lost against Athletic Club Bilbao. I saw some signs of fatigue in them. But at the same time, they've got, I wouldn't say easy tires, all right, because that wouldn't be fair, but definitely doable tires. So it could be the strange case that the best Spanish team in the Europa League, which were Real Sociedad, uh, they are already out. And Villarreal and Granada, they are still in in the quarterfinals. All right, Villarreal, who will be taking on Dinamo Kiev. Excellent. That's coming up on Thursday. Uh, one or two other things just before you wrap it up uh, today. Uh, a couple of questions from you, listener. Possibly not you, listener, but you know, a couple of questions anyway. Roger asks, what's the pod think will happen with Eden Hazard? Alvaro, what's happening? Number one, he hasn't been able to be 100% ever uh, during his Real Madrid time. Uh, number two, it's difficult that Real Madrid... Uh, mm, aspires to get a lot of money from him if they offload the player. So it is very likely that if no convincing offer uh, is received for the player, which is very likely, Eden Hazard stays at Real Madrid. Uh, he's supposed to come back in 10 days, more or less, and that is going to be uh, good for him, because probably his eyes are also in Euro 2021. But uh, so far, it's been, unfortunately, a flop for Real Madrid because they, inf they invested 100 million on him. And uh, I think that he has scored maybe three goals for Real Madrid. Uh, he's been so badly hit by injuries. Uh, Axel Jakobsen asks, any reaction to Mark Hamzik going to AFK Gothenburg? <laughs> I, thought it was, I thought he would go back to Bratislava. Of all places, you think that this is one of those where you go back to you know, where it all started, the sort of romantic route, but maybe Russia. he fancied a bit of, yeah, maybe he fancied a bit of Sweden before. Yeah, I, I'm curious what the project is at Gothenburg. I mean, I imagine he's available for free after, I don't know, you know, Chinese Super League at this moment in time. It's, yeah, it's, it's not what it once was in terms of the money that there uh, was there is, is certainly not flowing. So I, I'm curious as to what the appeal of Gothenburg is aside from, the Gothenburg side that I grew up with, with Jesper Blomkist and, uh, <laughs> and and everyone. So you watched uh, every weekend, yeah. Well, no, yeah. I mean, they were great in Europe in those days, Jules, <laughs> as you well know. But I, I'm I'm curious: is do they have some kind of new benefactor? What's the pool there? Um, I'll be watching them as much as I watched uh, Edgar Davids' uh, Old Hun Inch. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I, I wonder, uh, James, this is a question for you. I mean, why do you think that his career went down? Uh, this early. I mean, he was 28-29 when he stopped playing for Napoli or playing as good for Napoli. And I don't know. He seemed to be, or he was supposed to be at the peak of his career when he was 28. Uh, I think he's one of the best midfielders in Serie A the last, uh, last decade or so. I mean, remember, he, he was the one who became the all-time top scorer. Um, he's a midfield player. I mean, I mean Hamsik went to Napoli very, very young. I mean, he's one of those players who's been playing since he was, you know, in his sort of mid-teens and was their top scorer most of the time when uh, when they were still figuring it out after they just got promoted and they didn't have a Cavani, they didn't have a Higuain, um, they didn't have a Mertens. Um, so I think he's, he had a fantastic career. It was kind of odd to see them him go and work on the Rafa Benitez again because... In Naples, certainly, they didn't seem to get on all that much because Benitez wanted him to play as a 10 rather than midfielder. I thought he was great on the Sarri for the first two two years of Sarri. 
And then, yeah, I think he, he didn't want to go to another club in Italy and he could have gone to Milan, he could have gone to Juventus, but um, I think he wanted to, he wanted a change. Um, certainly there was a lot of money going around in China at that time. <laughs> at that time. All right. Uh, lastly, James, you mentioned before the six-goal thriller down at uh, Crotone, the Pythagorici, mm. the Pythagoreans, handing their brand-new manager, Sergi Cosmi, his first victory in the top flight in nine years. I got a real shock when I, I, I was watching, <laughs> when he popped up on the sidelines in those shades. Good Lord. Those shades are amazing. I love them. <laughs> I love them. Jimbo, you should get them. I mean, Do you, you know, I mean. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I don't want to make the mistake of thinking that all bald, bald men, men who have beards look yeah. the same, just as no. that all people with long hair look the same. They he's don't. a lot more, he's a beefier chap than, than yeah. Susie Cosmic. Beefcake. He's, and so Crotone, very much bottom of the table, but now seven points from safety after this victory. But the bottom three, and indeed the relegation race in Italy, looking pretty dramatic with currently, alongside Crotone, both Parma and Torino, two genuine heavyweights, they're in the bottom three. Yeah, I think it's going to be very difficult for Parma to stay up. Um, you know, Parma have started scoring goals, which was a real problem for them under Fabio Liverani, and then Diverso has come in who had a reputation for keeping clean sheets. Um, but it's the opposite. They keep scoring a couple and they keep conceding. And I think the weekend's game against Fiorentina was was just so emblematic of, of, of the strife they find themselves in because they were 2-0 down and then they got themselves 3-2 up with a goal in the 90th minute and they conceded an own goal in the 94th. <laughs> um, so uh, I think it's going to be tough for Palmer to get out of it. Torino have got a couple of games in hand. Um, and this was the first defeat that um, Davide Nicola had suffered. Nicola, who's famous for great escapes. We saw that at Crotone a few years ago. We saw it at Genoa last year. And Cagliari made a, a managerial change, which has worked for them as well, because after going 16 games without a win, Leonardo Semplici came in and won his first two games, and they got a point against Sampdoria at the weekend. So now it's interesting because the teams down the bottom have momentum, and they might pull the likes of Fiorentina in, um, which... Uh, yeah, Fiorentina for the last two seasons now have, have been drawn into a relegation uh, uh, battle, even though they've got so much talent on the team and uh, and a budget which yeah really should be fighting for, for Europa League places. Mm. All right, well, about 12 rounds still to go in Italy, so plenty of room for movement one way or, or another. Uh, very good. For now, though, that brings us to the end of this Totally Football Show. Many thanks to... To Rafa, to Jules, Alvaro, James and producer Charlie and you, listener. We'll be back uh, with the European show next Tuesday with another set of uh, Champions League and Europa League fixtures to look ahead to. We'll also be back this Thursday with a regular show, of course, with reaction to this week's midweek games. Uh, For now, though, from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletics Football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.